First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They are warm, breathable, silent, and odor resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, all of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com. Welcome back to another episode of Cutting the Distance Podcast. I'm your host today, Dirk Durham, and I've got a really special friend with me today, Bradley Dammerman here. And Bradley messaged me on Instagram a few years ago and said, hey, would you like to go mountain lion hunting? And I said, boy, would I? So we put together a plan and we come up here in the dead of winter and went cat hunting. And if you guys haven't watched it, it's on the Phelps YouTube channel. The thumbnail is a picture of me holding a big old mountain lion. We had a heck of a time with chasing cats with dogs. And I've always said, if you can spend five or 10 days in the mountains with somebody and still like them at the end of that five or 10 days, then that's a pretty special person. Immediately, I found that with Bradley. He was easy to be around. He's, he's like we were old friends. He owns and operates a, a guiding business called Idaho Whitetail Guides, which is kind of a misnomer for the business because he runs a lot of mountain lion hunts, runs a lot of bear hunts, uh, lots of elk hunts, and deer hunts too. And maybe deer hunting would be maybe not even your biggest draw, really. You Probably some of your other stuff is a bigger draw, wouldn't you say? Yeah, for sure. I, I would say elk probably is yeah. my biggest one. It was... Uh, I had purchased the business and the name was Idaho Whitetail Guides. And then I had a lot of things added, you know, elk and bear and everything added throughout the years. And I just didn't go through the name change. I just kept it the same, but it's worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. You stay real busy every fall, but yeah. anyway, thanks for coming on today. Um, as I've, I get to know Bradley a little bit more, I've, I've known him and I know a lot of same people, you know, through, you know, this, it's a small world. And it seems like every time we get to talking, we know all these different people. And and uh, one thing I've always I've always heard about Bradley is what an elk hunting machine he is. And uh, unfortunately, he don't get to hunt much for himself. But uh, he he had an elk hunt here a couple of years ago, two falls ago. You finally were able to get out for yourself. You normally guiding clients. You 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 had an opportunity to go with your your father in law, and you guys went out and chased some big bulls around, and you got a just a dandy, just a giant, an Idaho giant. Yes. Yes, that was well needed. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy watching, you know, whether it's a first-timer, you know, kill a, his first elk, you know, it's really fun. But every once in a while, you know, I got to get out there and do a little hunting for myself. And that was a, 
a good opportunity to spend time with my father-in-law and heck we're still talking even you know after that long trip <laughs> back but, to the, if you can spend some time in the mountains with somebody and still like them <laughs> yes exactly and we're still getting along so that's uh, good that's but, good no that was a fun hunt and one I'll, one I'll never forget for sure yeah and luckily I would have probably killed just about any bull you know I wasn't going to be picky I didn't have a lot of time but I was fortunate enough to get a, a really nice public ground bull so yeah and you guys kind of videoed that, and it's mm-hmm. on uh, Outdoor the Core YouTube channel. Yes, yeah, yep. you can yeah. watch it there. And I used kind of a GoPro in my cell phone, so it ain't the it ain't no Dirk Durham video or anything, but it's <laughs> yeah. it, it still gets the point out there. Yeah, no, it was yeah. that was good. I enjoyed watching it. Thanks. You know what? A lot of people don't know about Bradley is well. I tell you this right now: he's not ever going to brag about himself. So I'm going to brag about him a little bit. <laughs> um, he's the real deal. He's grown up right here in the heart of elk, deer, bear, mountain lion country. Like it, we're at his place right now, and it's it's absolutely beautiful here. And he grew up in the same house that he lives in. He he went right out his back door as a kid. You know, with grandpa, with his dad, chasing chasing hound dogs for bears and cats. And how old were you when you first when you went out on your own and got your first bear with dogs? I'll start with the lion hunt just because I can remember that one. That, okay, the, the best. I I I was about uh, ten or eleven, and uh, my dad was working, and we got two inches of fresh snow, and. Uh, I begged my mom, you know, my poor mom, you know, I had this old yellow Yamaha three-wheeler that got gave to me, you know, and I had, I actually built a platform on the back of it to haul two dogs, believe it or not, a three-wheeler. That sounds safe, huh? Yeah. You know? <laughs> definitely, definitely no uh, helmets or anything like oh, that. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, I begged mom, you know, to um, take the dogs out, so I... I actually didn't load them up then. I just jumped on the four-wheeler and I drove up the canyon here, up the drainage here by my house and found a lion track and I knew it was fresh because the snow, you know, it snowed in the middle of the night. And so I come back and I got these two plot dogs that I I had out here that, you know, were basically my dad's, but I kind of claimed them as mine, you know, but (laughs) my dad trained them and stuff. Bear Bear and Jack were the two dogs I grabbed. And I went out there, I drove out there, um, and this hor- this three wheeler I got's a real peach, you know. I mean, I had this the the throttle on it, you know. It it um, broke, so I had to, I just had the wire tied to a piece of stick, you know. And I was kind of <laughs> pulling that stick and driving. I had the two plot dogs on the back. Oh my and god! Anyways, and my I know my mom was just worried to death about me. You know, it was cold and everything else. But anyways, I got out there and uh, put them on the track, and they they went right out of hearing, you know, barking and. And I was a little nervous, you know, back then we don't have, we didn't have near the logging roads and stuff like we do now, you know, so, so, uh, I started going on foot, you know, behind the dog tracks. I couldn't hear him anymore. And anyways, walked quite a ways and there, there was my first, you know, I'd been to lion trees with my dad and grandpa, like you said, but there I had my first lion, uh, tree by myself with, with my two dogs, my dad's dogs, whatever you want to say I had it treed there and I, and I'll never forget that because it was a real special mo- moment for me as a hound, hound guy you know and I thought to my my first thoughts was nobody's gonna believe me <laughs> you know yeah. so I went back and got my mom and she bundled up I just <laughs> left the dogs you know we didn't have wolves to worry about back right, then either right. you know there wasn't wolves around here so I just left the dogs treeing on the cat 
come back and drove all the way back here and got my mom and loaded her up. And I'm like, mom, you got to walk in. Nobody's going to believe me. I got one treat. And I hauled my poor mom all the way in there. So I had proof that I actually caught one. <laughs> so uh, That's awesome. That's and a good then, mom. <laughs> yeah. And where I grew up, you know, um, my dad, he, he was pretty, he's a lot, I'm nervous wreck, you know, with my kids out there on four wheelers and pickups and everything. But I actually was driving a uh, pickup and up the Canyon here way earlier than I should have before I had the driver's license. Oh, yeah. So I had, I had the hounds out and, and, and hunt, hunted a lot at a really young age. You know, I hunted with my dad and grandpa, but if, it, if they weren't going, I, my dad was fine with me loading them up and going and, um, uh, hounds are definitely, uh, a big passion of mine. I mean, I'm glad I have them and it's, it's a lot of fun and it's necessary. It's a good way to, you know, uh, manage the predators too. And I'm not a big killer. I let a lot of stuff go, you know, but I do manage them, you know, it's a good managing tool and, um, um, yeah, hounds are important. Yeah. How many, how many days a year do you hunt your dogs? Oh man, I, at least, at least 150, probably pushing, uh, you know, 180, closer to 200 days. Um, depending on the year, depending on the year, but mm -hmm. you know, I, I hunt, you know, I'll start hunting here at the end of the November here and I'll be hunting clear till March, you know, I'll mm -hmm. go to a show or two. Um, but other than that, I'll be hunting every day pretty much. And then, you know, our, we have a, I do every once in a while in fall, the fall season, even last fall, I, I bear hunted. We have a good fall September season here, but that's always been a tough one for me because you got bu bugling bulls or listening to the hounds, but I try to do both, you know, I'll, I'll uh, hunt a week or so sometimes if I'm lucky in um, September, mm -hmm. you know, if the bugling's slow or something and one of my clients want to go on a bear hunt or something, I'll, I'll do that. And then, but, and then in the spring and summer, you know, I'm hunting, I'm hunting from uh, around April 15th or May 1st, somewhere right in there, you know, depending on what units open, I'm clear till the end of July. Yeah. So, and I mean, I don't miss too many days yeah. in between. So, yeah. Um, well, they rack up pretty fast. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And your dogs show it. I mean, they get hunted a lot. They're, they're just, they're, they're in good shape. Mm -hmm. They know what to do. Um, I've, I had the pleasure of going cat hunting with you and then Phelps came out and we yep. went bear hunting that time. And I really wanted Jason to get to shoot the bear and the bear kept running over into, into an area that he, he couldn't hunt because he was a non-resident, but I could since I was a resident because of, of licensing and stuff, um, hound hunting licensing. But anyway, um, that was funny because you know yeah jason and i'm like i'm i hope you get the bear but in the end i got the bear <laughs> <laughs> yep so you got uh, the red star yeah that was pretty fun that was fun i enjoyed uh, meeting jason and hunting with him as well and yep. um you guys are a lot of fun fun to be around just at camp even yep yep we uh we even videoed that one so if you guys check out the phelps youtube channel um that one's on there too um so yep. But uh, the real reason I brought uh, Bradley on today is I wanted to kind of go over some some common mistakes made by elk hunters every year. He has uh, a lot of folks. He he brings hunting every year. He sees a lot of people come through the door. He's been he's been guiding a lot of years, and you know some of the things that um, people could do to to help their success 
maybe before they get here and while they're here on hunting, whether, whether you're on a guided hunt or a DIY, I mean, this is all applicable stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, th- I thought, you know, I always have my ideas of mistakes people make, but that's usually, I'm like looking inward at my own mistakes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, as a, as someone that's taken lots of people hunting every year, you probably see a few things that like, um, people that may not think about before they ever come hunting and uh, it'd be really good for our listeners to hear those those problems and 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 mistakes and maybe find a way to to avoid those before they come hunting yes yeah for sure uh that's important stuff and um i think uh um the most common probably the number one thing that seems obvious on an elk hunt you know, and this definitely depends on the hunt you're going on, but we're talking elk here, is uh, is being in shape, you know. Uh, I take a lot of, and, I, and I'm careful when I say that because I do take a lot of older people mm-hmm. and stuff. And um, so you don't have to be a, a elk-shaped guy, you know, I mean, <laughs> 100%, you right. know. But any kind of exercise that you can do, you know, talk to your outfitter that you choose, you know, kind of figure out, you know, what kind of walk and how many miles a day and try to every day just walk it at home, you know, for a couple months before your hunt. Any little bit helps helps up your odds and helps us as a guide, you know, because we can only go where you can go. And uh, so that's probably the number one thing that I see is just people, man, I should I should have uh, exercised more. I, yeah. I should have uh, been a little more prepared physically for this hunt i see that a lot so yeah. that would be number one yeah and i talked about this before on another podcast earlier this year about getting ready for elk season and stuff and and you know no matter what your physical condition is when you start getting in shape like you know um you can do it like maybe maybe get doing exercise for you is walking a boat around the block at home once a day because you have a sedentary job or maybe you just, you don't get out much and you know, you got to start somewhere, right? If you can walk around the block every day for a month and then make it two blocks, three months, you know, you just build upon that. By the time it's time to go elk hunting, you're going to have, you're going to feel better than just going from a sedentary, you know, maybe a desk job or something to immediately jumping into the mountains, you know, maybe hiking roads and trails and off road or off trail and through some steep stuff. Um, you know, and I always said to, um, put, put a backpack on cause you're probably going to, you know, be wearing a backpack with you, you know, um, and man, your sh- your old shoulders and your back, if you're not used to carrying a backpack around your shoulders and back kind of can get sore after day one. And it, by the time the end of the hunt comes around, you're about into shape carrying a backpack. Seems like for me, it is at yeah. least, but if I can, <clears throat> if I can, start carrying a backpack a month before season as I'm walking and doing my other exercise, you know, put a little bit of weight in it to it. And, and if you're doing this for a two month spread, by the time elk season comes, maybe have 40 pounds in your pack. Um, and that way, when you, you get out here in the mountains, whether you're on a guided hunt or a DIY, you know, your, your back and your shoulders feel pretty good. You're not going to be like, Oh, this is, Oh, I'm sore every morning when I get up and I put my pack on and it's difficult. And now your mind's off task. Your mind's thinking about your aching back or your, your legs that are, that are sore instead of thinking about elk hunting. Yes. You nailed it there. So yeah. 
definitely use it as an incentive to to get in shape. You know, yeah. I'm going on this hunting trip, man. Yeah, you don't have to be an elite athlete, elite no. athlete, which is awesome if you can get that way. Yes. But but you know, get in better shape than than you were before, and you know, it'll help. Absolutely, yeah. Just any little bit helps. Like I said, any little bit. So very important that you uh, take that serious. But um, and then uh, I would say uh, an, uh, something that seems obvious, but I I bump into it a lot is people show up here with their brand new boots still in the box. <laughs> Yeah, I've ran out of band aids putting it on blisters. You know? Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. yeah, guys, yeah. Um, break your boots in. And I, I know this is most people probably do know this, but I see it a lot. Um, again, on depending on the hunt you're on. If you're if you're going on a whitetail hunt somewhere and you're going to be sitting in a a blind or a, a stand, you know, well, you you're probably not doing a lot of walking, so you know you could probably bring your boots brand new then, but. Um, Put those boots on, break them in however you'd want to wear them a lot, you know, um, before you come on a hunt. Very important mm-hmm. because you you don't want to go, you know, hunt the first day and then be kind of lamed up and sore and just kind of miserable the rest of the trip, you know. And, and a lot of the places you might be going with an outfitter, you know, there might not be a store real handy to go get a different pair or try a different pair or whatever. So make sure they're going to work for your feet and... Um, that's, uh, I just, you, it's just amazing how much I see that, you know, oh, yeah. Elk hunt. yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And try to incorporate that in your exercise routine. So, yep. you know, two months before the hunt, you know, just start breaking those boots in, you know, wear them every day on your hike, yep. um, wear them around town, wear them shopping, wear them to work, whatever, um, wear them doing chores in the yard, maybe mowing your lawn or whatever. But, uh, yeah, if a, a blister, it's so funny to me, like a blister, um, it's such a little thing. It's a little part of your body, but it can just wreck your day. It can wreck your hunt by having that, that painful blister back there. It's like, it'll stop you. If they get really bad, they'll mm-hmm. stop you in your tracks. And oh, yeah. you may have to take a couple of days off to try to, to heal up before you can walk anymore. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've seen people just not go out. Yeah. You know, it's crippling. They've paid for a hunt and they're just like, I'm not, I'm going to hold back. My feet are sore. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of miserable. You know, and I'll, I'll usually adjust for that, you know, as, as a, a, a guide, you know, I, we're kind of, we've got lots of places to hunt. So we're okay. Well, he's pretty lamed up. We need to take him over here, maybe set him, you know, we'll work around it obviously, yeah. but, um, you know, it's just Keep kind him of in a the bummer. Game. It's going to put a damper on your hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and bring in another thing about that point bring some i mean bradley said you've ran out of some band-aids but bring some of your own stuff too. keep them in your pack um i like luco tape you can get it on amazon um luco tape it's like a medical tape and this stuff once you get it stuck on it almost won't come off you have to like take it off get it like soak in the bathtub to get this stuff to come off and it's great for blisters it's not bulky it's real thin it almost looks like the the tape that's on a rubber or not rubber band that's on a band-aid but it's like super sticky, super tough. And, um, you let's say you get a blister on day one, you put, you start getting a hot spot. You put that over the hot spot and the blister and get it stuck on there. And that thing may be on your foot at the end of the week. Like it will stay on there really good. So yeah. highly recommend that stuff. Yeah. I'll have to get some of that and stick in these cabins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your hunters will be happy for it. Yeah.
Hey, Steve here. I want to talk about something crucial for any outdoor enthusiast, which is battery reliability. I've got interstate batteries powering my gear. I have interstate batteries in my camper. I run an interstate battery in my boats. I use interstate batteries because the last thing I want is to be left powerless. Interstate Batteries isn't just another battery company. They are outrageously dependable. In Alaska, the boat dealer that we use for getting stuff and repairs, he uses Interstate. Whether you're gearing up for hunting season, planning your next RV trip, or getting your boat ready, Interstate has the battery for all your needs. With over 150,000 dealer locations, the power you need is always nearby. Interstate Batteries aren't just about power. It's about being prepared for any situation. Don't let a dead battery ruin your adventure. Head over to interstatebatteries.com, use their store locator, and equip yourself with a battery that won't let you down. When you're out in the wild or just on your daily commute, an interstate battery is your key to a dependable journey. First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They're warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, All of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com. Okay, something else I, I see a lot, and uh, it's not too big of an issue, but it's something to think about, um, in my opinion. Choosing your hunting partner, like it, now I'm talking about a guided hunt here, you know. Um, so we sell two-on-one, we sell one-on-one hunts or two-on-one hunts, um, right. which a two-on-one is, is two hunters um, and one guide, if you're not sure what that means, but... Uh, what I see a lot as a guide is I'll I'll get two buddies um, that'll that'll show up on a two on one hunt. One of them's in shape, and one of them's not. And um, so, kind of, you know, maybe if you can, you know, pair up with somebody that's similar um, condition that you're in, if that makes sense, uh, because you know, it's a two-on-one hunt, so I'm hunting you both. A lot of times we're walking together in the morning, you know, in the evenings and stuff, I'll set you in different spots, but uh, uh, elk hunting, you know, I, you know, we're hiking, you know, in the timber and, and walking a long ways, you know, and, and, uh, you know, one guy's like, I can't go anymore, you know, and the other guy's like, he's not even breaking a sweat, you know? <laughs> um, so I've ran into that issue a lot. And I, and I do understand like on the flip side of that is, you know, I get a lot of father-son things, you know, just, right. you know, where, and a lot of times on those, the dad will just go without me, <laughs> take him, get him an elk, you know, right. but um, it's something to think about, you know, or at least be aware of it, you know, that sure. your partner could slow you down on right. a guided two-on-one hunt. Um, yeah. So I, I see a, like another thing with hunting partners 
is um, before your hunt, um, and I, I think people kind of don't do this a lot because you'll talk to, I talk to a lot of folks, is they don't have a real good conversation with their partners. Get, let's get deep. Let's have a deep conversation with your hunting partner and find out what their expectations of the hunt are and what are yours. Because sometimes we we kind of assume what the expectations of the hunt is. And then when you get there, um, opinions or expectations collide. And, and one person's like, yeah, dude, I just want to go hunt the mornings and come back and eat lunch and then go hunt the evenings. And one guy's like, I want to hunt all day. And if, if you have two different mindsets like that, that can be a clash and that can be a big deal. And you might end up hating your buddy mm-hmm. over the deal. I mean, so you have to iron out any of those little bumps before you ever go hunting. Yes. So, um, <clears throat> you know, maybe the kind of style you use, you know, mm-hmm. maybe your friend, he's more spot and stock, you know, a minimalist when calling. Maybe you're very um, heavy on calling. You want to use your calls a lot. Um, those two people don't usually blend well when you hunt together. Um, cause one person's like, geez, I wish that guy would just quit calling. <laughs> Shut up. Quit calling so much. The other guy's like, man, why don't you blow his call some? Mm-hmm. We need to get these calls. He's out going. So those two different mindsets are it just really clash. So if you can iron out your, all your expectations and your, your thoughts of the hunt and stuff before you go, you can really kind of figure that out and then you can explain to each other and like work that out before you ever get there. And then when you get there, you know what to expect. And then you can make, you know, you can make it easy for each other to have a good time. Yes. Right. Yeah. Those are good points for sure. Yeah. I've definitely, uh, I've seen, I've actually seen hunting partners show up, you know, laughing, having a good time, you know, the first couple of days and then literally at the end of the week, drive back to Pennsylvania with a complete stranger that was here this week that was close to him. Yeah. That they were, the hunting partners were so mad at each other by the end of the week that they didn't even ride home back home together. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty, that's pretty extreme, but it, it is kind of what you're saying. You know, they just clash too much. You know, mm-hmm. they, one guy wanted to hunt this way, the other guy wanted to hunt this way. And by the end of the week, they were just not real happy with each other. So, yes, very important to think that through. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Or at least, at least be aware of it and talk about it. Sure. Stuff. So. And, it, and it may not be a complete deal killer. Let's say you guys are doing your a DIY hunt and uh, it turns out you want way different things out of the hunt, but that doesn't mean you can't go and camp together and enjoy each other's time mm-hmm. in, in the evenings or whatever. Um, camp together and then say, okay, bud, you go this way, I'll go that way and I'll see you tonight. And if I get one or you help me pack it out. And if you get one, I'll help you pack it out. You know, there's ways to still, you know, it's not a completely deal killer. You don't have to hunt maybe with each other side to side all the whole time, but you know, there's, there's solutions to like, if you, if you enjoy your friend or maybe it's a relative Mm -hmm. um, and you want to make it hat work, um, there's ways of making it work and still go, but not clash as much. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely, you can definitely work it around, especially on a do it yourself, you know, um, a two-on-one guided hunt, you know, you're kind of stuck, but I even can work around it some, yeah. um, you know, as in like set somebody somewhere and then, you know, hunt with the, hunt with uh, the other guy, you know, on foot sure. and then alternate the next day. I've done that. So there, there's always ways around stuff, but it's stuff sure. to think about for sure. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. 
Another thing, if we want to move on, uh, optics and shooting distance. Uh, that's when I first started outfitting or guiding hunts, you know, um, the, the scenery around here has changed. You know, there's more logging and stuff. You know, I hunted, growing up, I hunted the timber a lot, you know, and uh, you got a 100-yard shot and the timber was rare, you know. just really didn't happen around here. So I didn't really shoot that you know, that far away, you know, I'd sight my gun in for a hundred yards and go, you know, um, what I see a lot, um, uh, on a guided hunt is, is, uh, you know, they're not from around here. A lot of times they might be from back East or wherever, wherever they're from and how, how, uh, how hard it is for some of these guys to see stuff. I'll see elk, you know, and, um, and I can't get them to see them sometimes, you know, and I'm, I'm like, you know, trying to explain as fast as I can, you know, you see that busted off snob over there on the ridge and they're like right below it a little bit to the right and they just can't see it. Um, and so what I've learned is a lot of times, you know, they'll, they'll buy a, an expensive hunt, you know, to go on and, and, and be dedicated in a plane ticket or whatever, or travel all the way out here, but they'll have a, a a uh, 40-year-old pair of binoculars with them, you know? Um, yeah. So I think optics are are really important, especially, and back to what I meant by timber, you know, things changed around here. We can see so much, you know, here in northern Idaho, or at least where I hunt, you can see so much further now, you know? All the logging you, and stuff. Logging and, and stuff. You you can glass a 1,000 yards or 2,000 yards now. So um, you don't want to have your chance on a guided hunt and the elk walk into the timber and I've had it happen several times and never even laid eyes on it. And I, and it's even, when you're a guide, that's a horrible feeling. Cause you think you're looking, they're like, well, I never seen it. You know, they're looking at you and I'm like, I swear there was a nice five point there. I promise. <laughs> and they're kind of looking at you funny and you're yeah. like, okay, we're walking over there. I'm showing you tracks where it walked into the timber. Right. Know? Right. But, um, so I think, uh, um, and I'm not saying you have to go spend a bunch of money on, on like don't break yourself you know if it's in your budget though you know uh buy a decent pair you know 10 by 42s even you know something something better than grandpa's old pair of binoculars anyways you know <laughs> yeah you don't want grandpa's world war ii binoculars that's right you know and, and and i can say you know there's some pretty decent binoculars for two three hundred bucks i mean they're not the best but they're they're better than 20 years ago Yes. Uh, two or $300 binoculars. They've come a long ways yep. and, you know, buy the best optics that you could afford. There you go. Um, yep. For your budget. And um, another thing, um, this is off topic a little bit, but same, but, but, but relative to binoculars, um, there's nothing worse than be a hunt, being hunting and you look up on the hill and you see another hunter and they're eyeballing you with the rifle scope. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're pointing their gun at you and they're looking at you with their scope because they don't have binoculars. Right. And that's a pretty unnerving feeling. And I, I I feel pretty strongly about that. That's that's kind of BS. Like but binoculars, I think everybody can afford a pair good enough that's you can tell look you can scope out like look through your binos at a guy or an elk or a deer or something. Uh, there's no excuse to be throwing your rifle up and eyeballing people with your scope. So no, absolutely not. Yeah. I've had that happen a lot to me too. Yeah. Um, yes. Have a pair of binoculars. Don't use your scope. Um, nobody wants a gun pointed at them. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, distance. Um, I think knowing your gun, 
and knowing your bullets is extremely important. Uh, I I don't uh, um, I see this a lot where either they bought brought old grandpa's gun, you know, with a again a, a not a very good scope, you know, and they can only shoot a hundred yards, you know. Um, and I'm not saying I'm a big long distance shooter, and I know some people are into that, some ain't, but at least try to be able to shoot 300 yards in my opinion. I mean, that that's going to up your, up your chances so much, um, where I hunt anyways. Well, and, and another thing I, I see a lot of people will show up here with, um, the most expensive scope you could think of night force, whatever it might be, you know, expensive, fancy scopes, a fancy gun. And me and the guys are like, Hmm, I want that guy, you know, We'll come to find out he's only good to about 250 yards, he'll tell you. Right. And right. I just, I kind of shake my head at that. Well, why do you got all this expensive gear, you know? But right. um, I think uh, uh, practicing, like if you're from back east or somewhere, you know, I know it's hard to find a place to sh- to shoot. I know a lot of my guys have told me, well, we don't really have a spot to shoot 300, you know? And so that could be a challenge, but practice further than you think you're going to shoot, you know? practice shooting a ways i think will up your elk hunt a lot here where i'm hunting um because anymore you know it's we can take a four or five hundred yard shot easy anymore you know Mm -hmm. and if you can't shoot that far your opportunity might walk into the brush and that might be your that might have been your only opportunity for that week so right um practice practice you know um um shoot uh, even if you're not, you know, when you're practicing, you know, who cares if you miss, you know, I mean, just shoot as far as you, you, you possibly want, you know, further than what you think you're going to shoot on the hunt anyways. Right. And then um, that helps. And I think if, if you can't get those long ranges, if you can't get like that 300 yard shot at your local range or, you know, maybe broaden your views a little bit, you know, search surrounding counties that like, well, there's that one shooting range over here that they've got a really nice one. You know, they, Maybe mm-hmm. they hauled some competitions at them or whatever. You maybe you can reach out to a thousand, but yeah. maybe before your hunt, go over there. Just you may have to drive for an hour to mm-hmm. to get to a place to where you can shoot at distance. Um, or if that's just like I've looked, I can't find nothing. Um, I would recommend so it, maybe you can shoot two hundred yards, a uh, hundred yards. Instead of shooting a large target, make your target very small. Um, make the aiming point very small on your target. So instead of having a, a, you know, a two feet by two feet, big piece of paper to shoot at, maybe now we're shooting at a a playing card, you know, and now you're trying to shoot the diamond on the playing card. That's your aiming point, right? And you're not just going to sit on the bench at the, at the range and just shoot that. Like, because typically when you're hunting, that's not a shooting from a shooting bench is, is a hundred percent never going to happen when you're on an elk hunt or any kind of a, unless you're shooting out of your backyard. Right. Right. So, um, shooting awkward positions, you know, yeah. Stand, stand up, um, lay on the ground, um, take a knee, you know, find yourself, um, getting comfortable shooting those shots, getting those, that muscle memory down. Um, I don't, I'm not a big bipod guy, but what I do instead of a bipod is I, I use my hunting pack. I've got a, a pretty mm-hmm. decent sized hunting pack and, I get good at like re- pulling my pack off, throwing it on the ground, put getting my gun on it, laying down, finding the target, um, and then executing the shot. So those little things will will help you immensely 
like getting on target. Um, it, it's really hard to like sometimes find the animal in the scope, especially if it's it's moving or something. And mm-hmm. like you alluded to, is like the hunter's like, I can't see it. I can't see right. it. You know, I've seen this with my wife and kids oh, yeah. before. Uh, you get them on something they're like, I can't see it in the scope. I can't mm-hmm. see it in the scope. It's, it's really tough. Um, so just this weekend, I, I had my friend Lee out and he's new to deer hunting. And we did some, some drills with, instead of using the rifle that he's going to hunt with, we used a 22, which is a full size 22 rifle with a full size scope on it. Mm-hmm. And by, you know, putting it up quickly, finding the target quickly in the scope and shooting, and then just doing, doing that from different positions, standing up, laying down, kneeling, all these different, finding, maybe we, we did this with Lee. We, there was a tree close by. Okay. Let's pretend that's the deer over there. You need to get to that tree quickly and quietly and then find the target, lean against the tree, rest your rifle on it, take the shot. And that made that, that helped him a lot. He's like, wow, I'm just, I'm starting to, I'm starting to get it. You know, I'm starting to feel good about this. Then they have confidence in finding, finding the animal in the scope and then making that shot. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, that's uh, big issue, you know, with uh, people just, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of my hunters will have the scope, you know, turn zoomed way in, you know, and, and, you know, too, and you, you realize, shoot, they've got their, their scope turned all the way up high power, you know, have that, you know, turn, turn down and then you got a little wider view to, to look and find it in your scope. But yeah, just, uh, um, finding it in the scope is major. Yeah. I mean, you, um, practice, and that's so easy to practice. Like Dirk said, you know, you can, there's lots of things I, I got, you know, we got ground squirrels around here. So my kids, you know, I, and Amy and stuff, you know, that's, you know, if you have, if you you got an opportunity to hunt squirrels, even, you know, it's just good practice to getting your gun pulled up and, and getting on stuff, you know, because mm-hmm. most of the time, as you know, they're not standing there forever, you know, so you've <laughs> yep. got to be quick and that could definitely cost you an elk. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. So, uh, I was not telling your outfitter if you have any health issues. It's oh. something I've learned on the fly. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's something you might not think of, you know, it's something I didn't think about when I first started and I'll just, I'll, uh, tell you what happened to me, uh, right out of the gate, you know, when I, when I own the business, you know, I've, I've guided, you know, since 99, something like that. So, um, but I've owned the business 13, 14 years or whatever, but, uh, the first year or two anyways, I, I, I had a, a white tail hunter out here and, uh, I, I set them, you know, I was setting them in pop-up blinds and tree stands and stuff. I could tell right away this guy was extremely impatient, which I don't judge because I'm not the most patient guy sitting in a stand either. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he was getting a little frustrated sitting in the stand, not really seeing much. And um, and this guy's probably, uh, I would say, around 50, early 50s, something like that. But uh, anyways, I told him, I said, well, I uh, why don't we you know, go for a walk and, and do a little spot and stalk and I'll bring my rattle and horns and grunt tube and we'll see if we can maybe rattle one in or, or just catch one out there. You know, he, he was losing patience. So anyways, I drove out somewhere and, and we started hiking, you know, and, and setting up and rattling and grunt calling and not having any luck. So we just kept getting a little further further away you know and i just kept you know hunting i i didn't have no reason to be back right away 
And we were walking through the timber there, and he tapped me on the back of the shoulder, and he says, Brad, and, and I could just see, I just looked at this guy's face, and I, I mean, he does not look right. He looks sick. And he says, I need you to go back to the pickup and get my backpack. I'm diabetic, and I'm about to have a blackout. Oh, my God. Well, I'm, you know, I don't even really know what that means at this point. And he's like, I need you to hurry. I said, the pickup's like two and a half miles away. He says, Brad, I need you to get my backpack immediately. And I ran, I about killed myself getting back to the truck. Yeah. And getting this guy's backpack for him and getting getting back, getting getting it back out. Luckily... For this guy, I got I got his backpack out, and I can't remember. He had some medicine or, or a candy bar or something, whatever, to help his diabetic. Um, but he told me, you know, I, I've been a diabetic for like 35 years, and he said that was the closest I ever was to blacking out. And I, and I don't know, I don't understand the diabetic real well, but what he told me was a blackout is you pass out and you never wake up. Oh, wow. If you're diabet diabetic. So oh, I was my. like extremely close call. Like I was an eye opener for yeah. me. Um, another story is you anybody that's hunted in September, at least around where I'm at, northern Idaho, the bees can be mean. Oh, yeah. Um, I've, uh, I've had guys out there that were allergic to bees and get stung and never had their – like I said, this is early on in my guiding career. You yeah. know, this is stuff I've learned. Um. They never had their insulin shot or whatever. EpiPen. EpiPen, sorry, yep. yeah. Um, and with them, mm -hmm. you know, well, that's a big problem. You know, we're yeah. we're out here a ways, you know. Um, we're, we're not getting back to the truck anytime soon, even if we're running, you know. And I've had some close calls like that where people, it was pretty scary. So very important. I mean, if, if you're not comfortable, you know, a lot of times – we'll you know there'll be five or six clients in a week and we're kind of all talking at night and if you're not comfortable blurting that out your health issues in front of everybody at camp when you know you're there the first night just just pull your outfitter aside and, and uh tell them hey you know just so you know i you know i've got a bad heart or you know i'm allergic to this and make sure you know you know that guy you know, I don't think, he, you know, back to the to the deer hunt, I don't think he realized we were going to walk that far. And right. I never really told him. So that was maybe kind of my fault. Um, and he knew better. He told me he should have had that stuff with him. Right. But in his mind, we were just going to walk out there 100 yards and, sure. and, and come back to the truck. So, you know, you can't leave it all on your outfitter if you, if you know you need that um, EpiPen or whatever it might be. Make sure you have it with you and and your guide or your outfitter is aware of it yeah that's a you know it's a really good point you know, I, yeah i i would never think of that but i don't have any life-threatening issues right now right. but uh i could see where that'd be really a, a big problem mm -hmm. yes it is for sure it's yeah we take that pretty serious and i go over all that you know with everybody the night they go up just because like i said i've learned this through through the years of guiding but um but definitely definitely let your outfitter know or if you're doing it yourself you know make sure you have all the stuff you might need yeah. hey 
Steve here. I want to talk about something crucial for any outdoor enthusiast, which is battery reliability. I've got interstate batteries powering my gear. I have interstate batteries in my camper. I run an interstate battery in my boats. I use interstate batteries because the last thing I want is to be left powerless. Interstate Batteries isn't just another battery company. They are outrageously dependable. In Alaska, the boat dealer that we use for getting stuff and repairs, he uses Interstate. Whether you're gearing up for hunting season, planning your next RV trip, or getting your boat ready, Interstate has the battery for all your needs. With over 150,000 dealer locations, the power you need is always nearby. Interstate Batteries aren't just about power. It's about being prepared for any situation. Don't let a dead battery ruin your adventure. Head over to interstatebatteries.com, use their store locator, and equip yourself with a battery that won't let you down. When you're out in the wild or just on your daily commute, an interstate battery is your key to a dependable journey. Um, another thing I, I see now, now this is a... Uh, this don't... <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't say that it's every hunt. Well, obviously it's not every hunt, but if I see it more on my, on like my mountain lion hunts or even like a, an archery elk hunt that I'm going to the back country and, and hunting pretty hard and maybe even possibly staying a night out there too, you know, mm -hmm. um, if you're, if you've, if you've dreamed of going on an elk hunt for our 10 years or whatever, and it's been something, your bucket list deal, don't wait too long um, on pulling the trigger on that. I've guided, I don't know how many older guys that they did their best and God bless them. You know, they, they, they finally got to a point in their life where they could afford it, I guess, you know, and, and show up and go on a hunt. Um, but I, I don't know how many times I've heard these words. I should have done this 20 years ago. Yeah. Man, I'm mad at myself. Yeah. Why didn't I do this 20 years ago? So if it's something you're, we only live once, right? You know, and um, if it's something you got, and I know for like me and uh, my business, I can't speak for other outfitters, but like my wife, if it's, you know, this might be a do-it-yourself and you just figure it out. But like, if you're going with an outfitter, I know like Amy's set up, especially with some of the younger people, you know, that have kids and a family and we know how expensive it is to, to live nowadays, but uh well, she'll set up payment deals for them. It yeah. might be a two-year deal right? where they're making payments to pay for the hunt but slowly. But figure out something. If, if it's on your mind, don't wait too long because time flies, man. And we're not going to have our youth forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. We're not, we're not getting any younger every year, so. No. Yeah, that's a good point. I think if you, if you book with an outfitter, you know, um, and you think you got a good good outfit that you're going with and you're um you, something bugged you you know you're there for a week something bugged you something made you mad either the guide you know maybe he wasn't working hard enough or the outfitter said something to to make make you mad or the 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 conditions of uh, where you were sleeping whatever it might be were weren't that great um you know and the, and this is easy for me to say cuz I'm the outfitter but I think I highly suggest you just go to the outfitter and with your issue immediately and immediately and set down. And I know for me and my business and I, and I still do this, I'll have a, a group of guys in, in for the week and, and hunt them. And I'll ask them at the end of the week, you know, is there anything 
that I could have done different or, or maybe, you know, put in the cabins or, or had, you know, different meals or is there anything you can think of I could have did different? I'd love to hear it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and we appreciate that, you know? Um, so you might have an issue that made you mad, but I think going to the outfitter and talking to them, they're more, more likely, I know I am, I'm going to try to make it right. You know, this is our reputation on the line. I want to, I want to make it right. And whatever that might take, I'll, I'll, I know I'll work with you if you come to me. I just don't, I don't really think, I really don't, I don't really like the guy that, uh, you know, goes and just complains to other people. Right. Oh, this was horrible. And Mm -hmm. this was this. And, and that might be, I mean, I've heard horror stories, but I think if you have an issue, it's important to let your guide know, because then they can work on it and um, maybe make a better hunt for the, the next guy's coming. Sure. Yeah. Like for instance, let's say the hot water tank wasn't working mm-hmm. You and you just don't know, you don't stay in the cabin. Um, you got to let them know. You don't want to sit there all week with cold showers and, right. and then be mad that you had cold showers. They'd be like, oh, the dang hot water tank wasn't working or the yeah. mattress was lumpy or something, you know, if there's something bugging you, like, gee whiz, they don't have decaf coffee or <laughs> right. Some little things, some little things go a long way with people, you know, they, mm-hmm. they're not happy with it. And if you mentioned it early and say, Hey, you think we could get some decaf or do you think we could get a different mattress? I can't sleep a wink. I'm sure you'd jump through the hoop to, Oh shoot. didn't know. Let's fix that thing up and get you going. Right. Yeah, definitely. You want people to be comfortable. Yeah. You know, we want, want you to be comfortable and want you to have a good time. So yes, please let, let them know, you know, yeah. because if they don't know, they don't know. Or, know. or if it's your hunting partner, let's say you're doing a DIY and your hunting partner's doing something that's really grating on you. Don't yeah. stew on it all week. Just say, hey, man, hey, can we have a talk? You say, hey, you're picking your nose all the time. It's really bugging me. <laughs> whatever it is. Right. Whatever it is. Making it, too much noise. Yeah, you're, you're <laughs> making too much noise. You pick up your feet, you know. Huh? And, and if you do it with a, in a diplomatic way, instead of acting like a hothead or something, usually the other person's like, oh, wow, they didn't know. Right. And be happy to, you know, work on it. And that way everybody's happy. And sometimes, you know, the person maybe that's complaining should then say, was there anything I'm doing that's bugging you? And they may say, well, now that you bring it up, you (laughs) snore like a freaking grizzly bear. (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. I'll try to work on that. (laughs) Yeah. I remember sleeping in a wall tent with you one time. (laughs) It was kind of loud. Dang it. Uh, Sorry about that. Sorry about that. (laughs) I've held a grudge ever since. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised you'll talk to me. (laughs) Uh, No, but those are definitely good things to go over. You know, I mean, you, you book a hunt with somebody. These are things that you don't really think about until you're there, you know. So yeah, they're small things, but they add up, don't they? Mm-hmm. They sure you do. Know, for sure. Okay, another thing I see hunters making a mistake, which is might sound kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and this all depends on the hunt you're going on, obviously. As I see hunters with too much gear, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's just completely like, what the heck we got going here i don't have room in my pickup for this stuff (laughs) (laughs) right right uh which you know uh, most outfitters i think almost probably all of them and i know i do is is we have a gear list you know we have a gear list this is what you have to have so if you book with an outfitter make sure you get a gear list and you know and then i might recommend some stuff that you can bring or you don't have to you know but you know just the basics but and a lot of it depends, you know, where you're going, obviously, you know, if you're walking or camping or hiking in, but 
my style of hunt, you know, where I hunt, you know, a lot of times we hunt for two, three hours in the morning and then stuff kind of dies down and we, we kind of take a break. So what I see a lot is these hunters, they, they show up with a, a 50 pound backpack loaded. I'm thinking, man, if we have to put a quarter on that thing, it's really going to be heavy, but yeah, they've got more gear and then they're in there than they'll ever use. And then by the end of the week they're we're hunting and they're all that stuff staying in the pickup and they realize they didn't even need it. Yeah. Um, they brought it and it just sat in the cabin or whatever. And, um, they've lightened up a lot. Yeah. Because, you know, that's another thing that, that's going to wear you down is just having too much stuff on you. And, and nowadays, you know, it's kind of uh, normal, you know, even me, it's like, I remember when I used to, you know, grab a pocket knife, two extra bullets and, and a gun and go, you know, right. pretty much. And, <laughs> and now it's range finders and radios and cell phones and, all this stuff, you know, it just adds up. Yeah. Um, um, have the right gear, but don't have too much of it for yep. the hunt you're going on. You yep. just spend a lot of time researching and asking a lot of questions and um, figuring out what you're going to need. Do I really need this? Probably not. I'm going to leave it, you know. Yeah. Um, but I see that a lot where guys are just way over, over packed. Mm. Yeah. You know? That's a good, good point. Yeah. Oh, shooting sticks so this is something i just thought i'd i'd bring up um so there there are say there's three or four guides four or five guides whatever i have here for the week honestly um it really i like shooting sticks i think i think they're important because i i see a lot of misses as a guide Mm. shoot and miss but i definitely have better luck with shooting sticks but having the right shooting sticks are important too you know if you're going to be setting somewhere in a pop-up blind or whatever, you know, you might, you know, choose your shooting stick a little different. I like ones that are adjustable quick, you know, pull the trigger and adjust it for the spot and stock, you know. Like those trigger stick ones? Trigger sticks, yeah. Yeah. I like those the best for the style of elk hunt I do with the rifle. Sure. But um, then I have a couple guides that, you know, they'll look at my clients and say, break those things in half and throw them over the bank. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> because it's actually cost them, you know, they're fiddling around with their shooting stick, you right. know, and, and, and cost them elk. But I'm a firm, I'm a, a firm believer in shooting sticks, uh, but they need to be quick, yeah. you know, um, on the style elk hunt I do. Like a lot of times I'll pack the trigger sticks for the hunter Oh, and it, and it works out good. Cause I'll use it you know, rest my binoculars on or something when I'm yeah. kind of spotting stuff. And, and then if I see something, I can throw it out in front of the the client real quick and get their gun on it but shooting sticks um and the right ones are important for sure yeah yeah i always kind of go back and forth like should i get some because my buddy lee this week he, he's uh new new at deer hunting and i'm like should i get some of them shooting sticks for him and should i not and like you say they're kind of a pain in the butt to carry and um i'm thinking i'm gonna get some i'm gonna think i'm gonna get some yeah and I think, I think you'll I think like they're them. good. Yeah. Yeah. I might even like them for me. Right. And again, it goes back to having too much gear. How much stuff do you want to be fiddling around with too? But like a one man band. Yeah. I know. I like, especially for some of my heavier guns, I like to rest them if I can, sure. you know, and, uh, you know, there, there's different kinds you can go with and, and practice with them. Yeah. You know, I, I get guys here that we go out the first day of their hunt and we see something and, 
they can't even figure out how to unfold their shooting sticks or whatever they got. So, right, right. And uh, so kind of maybe something else you could maybe kind of practice with is getting those up quick. And mm -hmm. it's all time, right? I mean, we got sometimes you, you just don't have a lot of it on the hunt. And so you don't want it to like like one of my guides, Travis, always says, it cost me more elk than messing around with their shooting stick, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's something to think about. If people are looking to book with an outfitter, I thought I should ask you. So what kind of questions should you ask an outfitter before you put your money down? So I feel like there's probably some questions you need to ask. You maybe need to um, do some check-in. What, what, what do you recommend? Like when you're vetting an outfitter. Yes, that was very important. Ask a lot of questions, first of all. Uh, um, and don't be scared to, if, if, if say you're at a trading show or something and you've walked around and kind of looked at, don't be scared to ask questions. Don't be nervous. Just start somewhere. Yeah. Walk up to an outfitter and start somewhere. Just ask them a question. Uh, we're not going to judge anybody, or at least I'm, I know I'm not, on any questions they ask. Mm -hmm. just, just get the conversation rolling. Mm -hmm. It'll go into place. But um, it might not be the first question I ask if, if I go up to somebody's an outfitter's booth or something. But um, one thing that you're going to want, and I think is important, um, is references. Yeah. And fairly recent references. Don't have references. Yeah, I hunted with them 10 years ago, you know. Right. Um, you know, in the last year or two, get get some references. And I know that I, when I'm at a show, I actually have a list of references. And on my references, I actually um, have people, obviously, obviously people are kind of, oh, of course you're not going to put some guy that had a bad hunt on there. <laughs> and, that, and that is true. I right. mean, you know, um, to an extent, but, um, why I think it's important to ask them is, well, on my back to mine is I have people that killed stuff and I actually have people that didn't kill stuff right with me. I think that's important. Sure. You know, if your outfitter doesn't supply the guy you're looking to go with, if he doesn't supply like, um, references that, that didn't kill, maybe ask him, you know, like, Hey, can I have a couple guys, this phone numbers that, you know, weren't successful with you? Yeah. You know, and, and one thing I've learned in this business, in any business, I think you could probably agree, Dirk, is uh, you're not going to make everybody happy. Right. So one or two guys that complain about an outfitter, I wouldn't think too much in it, you know. Right. Because it, I think any outfitter that's been in business for, for a while is going to probably have a couple guys that can find something to complain about. Right. That's just how it is. Yeah, but it's really hard to make everyone happy out there. It is. It's uh, hard as you try. You know, it's sometimes it's like maybe it's a personality thing. Maybe it's maybe they expected way too much out of an outfitted hunt. It's hard to say. Right. Yep. So definitely uh, check with that. And if he doesn't have any references, I'd be a little leery. Yeah. You know, um, maybe go on on um like i said when i'm at a at a trade show i have them there and i might not hand them out to everybody but i i i def if i'm talking to them and i think they're pretty interested and in, and in book a hunt with me i'll say why don't you take some references and yes um, and they might be some guys that have hunted with me and they and i know they're gonna talk highly of me but it might not even just be about me or my well it would be too but it might be something that i forget to tell you like you could ask them you know well how how was the cabins you stayed in mm -hmm. how was the food Right, you know, there's lots of questions that you could ask somebody on a on on a reference and and kind of 
you know, were you, did they run you into the ground? I mean, <laughs> did you have, how far did you walk? You know, there's a lot of things they can ask them. So, um, so important references are, are important. And, uh, um, I know not every outfitter hands those out because, um, I've been at shows where, where I, I've handed them out and I've had, had them come back and say, by the way, you're the only outfitter that, that handed me references really i'm like oh i okay, feel like well. that'd be kind of standard really I, and i it would i uh, i would think but i've i've had them do that hmm. but wow. and i'm sure most outfitters do or at least have them if the client asks and they might not hand them out unless you ask too right because you know i don't want 50 60 people calling a guy so right it could be For that. serious in- inquiries yes exactly sure um Definitely uh, ask, again, lots of questions. How physical is the hunt? I'm going to be, you know, what kind of terrain, out altitude, you know, what am I looking at? Because I, I get a lot of guys here that, you know, maybe miscommunication and, and stuff on their end, our mind even, you know, I've learned, I'm learning, I'm only human, but um, on, I just didn't think it was going to be this hard. Right. right. You know, or I thought it'd be a little more of a challenge, you know, mm-hmm. really get detailed on right. on that for sure and and maybe you should tell the outfitter explain your expectations this would here's what I, a dream elk hunt sound would be to me mm-hmm. you know yes. i wake up every morning uh, about 9 a.m to a five-star breakfast uh, i sip coffee for a while as i look at the lake and, and enjoy a beautiful view and then about 10 we get in the vehicle and drive around and look for animals and maybe take a shot or two and then we get back early and and i take a soak in the hot tub and yeah you know is it that that i mean i'm being silly here but but you have to like find out like tell the outfitter what your expectations are and he might just say well that's not really the kind of hunt we do yep um we don't this is more what we do and you know kind of like I feel like that whole expectations versus reality thing is what really throws people off sometimes. So if you don't tell them that your expectations, you may just go there thinking it's something it, it, it ain't. Right. If you haven't asked the questions and like, if you just assume all these things then. Yep. That happens a lot, you know, and I, and I've told uh, people, you know, several times, you know, that were detailed about that, that I'm not sure I'm the guy you're looking for. Right. I, you know, I'll recommend, I'll recommend a few guys to you yeah. that I think you'd, you'd have a little more of an experience with what you want, you know? Sure. So yes. And, and, um, so important to know what you're getting into and, and if you're going to like it or not, you know, mm-hmm. um, another one is, uh, I hear, you know, I hear all the, a lot of these guys that hunt with me have been hunting other with other outfitters and and different places and stuff. And, and one, I hear the hunters complaining about not, not necessarily my setup. I, I feel like I have a, a decent setup for sleeping, but it, make sure you're asking the outfitter, you know, where am I sleeping at? You know, like, oh, you know, it might now, now I know I wouldn't, you know, uh, might not bother some people, but I wouldn't want to show up um, on a guided hunt and be stuck with five, guys sleeping in the same tent or, um, you know, that I don't know. Right. Um, and that might not, you know, I would, if I'd at least want to know about it, you know, right. Like, who am I going to get stuck with? Am I going to be sleeping with the cook somewhere, you know, whatever (laughs) it might be, you know, um, have that all ironed out, you know, so there's no, when you get there, it's all about hunting. There's no surprises, you know, 
Um, I'm so. in, a, in a bunkhouse with eight beds and and seven guys snoring like yep. <laughs> bulldogs. Right. <laughs> yep. So I'll need earplugs. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe I don't want to. I don't want to do that. <laughs> right. Who knows? I've like I said, I've heard horror stories of mice crawling on people, and these old shacks have been in. <laughs> <laughs> spiders and all kind of, who oh, yeah. knows you know just be aware of where you're gonna be and uh um uh i think we we might have touched on this a little bit but uh you know ask ask your outfitter how how far you're gonna be shooting um very important and and like we talked earlier practice to what what they say you know if uh, like i usually tell my hunters i kind of I kind of expect or would like you to be able to shoot 300 yards. Yeah. So practice to 400. Yeah. You know. That way 300 is a chip shot. That's right. So definitely ask him that, and then you'll have a little bit of an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of uh, already talked about this, but what style of hunt, and is it going to fit you, you know, yeah. like you were, you were just kind of sure. brought up, you know, definitely – Make sure you're going to, if you pull the trigger on a hunt, that you're going to be ha- happy with it. You know what sure. you're getting into. Yeah. And I, I think uh, if I'm if I'm walking around a, a trade show or something and, and trying to pick out an outfitter and I find one and I'm, I'm asking him his, I'm asking him a lot of questions, you know, but I think I'm really going to be trying to, to, to look at this guy and, and, and see, is it, is hunting really this, is it his passion or is this just a uh, a way to make a real a living? You mm-hmm. know, um, is you know, and I might, I, and you can you can tell by talking to somebody. You know, oh yeah, real quick. Know, bring up some hunts. Like, what kind of hunts do you like to to go on? What what's your favorite hunt? You know, and and see if you see that spark in their eye. And mm-hmm. um, I think that that is, I think that I just feel like them guys are really gonna um, are really gonna try harder no hunting better um you know they're gonna they're just gonna be a better choice for you if you can tell mm-hmm. because unfortunately in this business there's there's what i call businessmen you know and i i guess i'm one too but um you know they're they're pushing numbers and and um they might not they might not even hunt themselves really you right know, they just have a crew of guys that they have it. a crew they might not guide even yeah. you know um so so definitely try to um see what what you think there another good one is uh find out how many people are going to be in camp oh yeah you know and i know for me um i run a pretty small business but i know if i go somewhere i don't necessarily want to show up and there be 20 30 people in camp for the week right you know that's a big red red flag to me of, of somebody just Either and I and and I get you know we have to as outfitters we've got leases and there's a lot that goes into it so we have to book a certain amount of hunters to make it or we're allocated tags or whatever but um, you don't want to go to somewhere where they're just flat being greedy and and they're pumping as many you're just a number right we're, we're pumping as many hunters a week as we can get to go you know keep that in mind, you know? Right. And I'm not saying that they, they're ne- you're necessarily going to have a bad hunt. I would just keep that in mind. Right. You know, when you're looking. Yeah. Cause some places, you know, they might have a, like a gigantic vast area of, you know, that they lease or they're hunting on. It's just like, mm-hmm. you're never going to see, be close to any of, but any of the other hunters all for a week, you know, you'll see them at breakfast and, and dinner. 
mm-hmm. but that would be it. Right. But other places, maybe maybe you might be like, oh, they're glassing across the hillside. No, oh, there's old Joe from the breakfast table this morning <laughs> looking at me. <laughs> you know, if, if it was a place that had a lot of hunters in camp, probably better have a very vast area to, to, to take their, their clients into and not be stumbling over each other. Yes. Right. Exactly. And when you're, and you're walking around in the show, same thing. Um, make sure you're, you're talking to the, the owner operator, you know I mean? And, and again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't go through a booking agency, but at least to be aware of that, like ask those questions. Like, are, are you the owner? Are you the operator? Are you going to be there? Are you going to be guiding? Because I've known lots of my hunters say, you know, they booked a, a, a hunt with a guy and they he wasn't even there when they showed up. Oh, shoot. You know, and um, kind of caught him off surprise, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and at least if you do go through a booking agent, you know, like I said, I don't personally use them because I, I, I run a small business and I, I want to be more personal. Sure. I, I want to talk to the people that are going to come with me and, and stuff. But if you do go through a booking agent, at least – you know, ask that booking agency, how, how can I contact the owner, you know, and, and get a little more detailed and personal with them. Sure. You know, and know, you know, like, okay, are you going to, are you going to be there? Do you guide, you know, if they're not, again, if they're not guiding and not involved, you know, it'd, it'd probably be a little bit of a red flag for me. You oh know, yeah. Yeah, for definitely. Sure. And then another, another question you'd ask them is, uh, how much ground do you got to hunt? Yeah. If there's five guys in camp and you only got 800 acres to hunt, well, that you might want to stay clear of that. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and outfitters, I know like how my my business works is I I'm I've got my own outfitting area and I do all public ground hunts, you know, but I'm the only outfitter in that area and I have tons of ground and and you know we're not going to run out of spots, you know. I'm confident of that, you know. I've got like 600 square miles, you know, um, but. Not every outfitter, some outfitters might have more or less, you know, so I think that's an important question to ask, you know, like how much ground do we have to hunt? Yep. And if you don't have much ground to hunt, you know, I'm not saying you wouldn't be successful, but it's something to, it would probably raise a little bit of a red flag to me. Yeah. I like r- breathing room. Right. You know, right. If, uh, I can't find something, some, something on this mountain. I want to go to another one. Right. You know. Absolutely. How long has our guides been working for them? You know, that's, that's. And, uh, an important one to ask, I think, um, to an extent. So a lot of my guides have been, I've, I've been lucky. I've had some guides that have worked for me from day one. I mean, they're excellent hunters and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, but I think it's important to ask, I've been back East at, at shows and I've had outfitters literally hiring guides from back East to, to come work for them in, in, uh, Idaho. And I'm thinking, Holy cow! That there's no way I'd run my business like that. Right. So you want to you want to know who who you're getting for a guide, you know? And uh, those are important. And just because they're a brand, you know, a guy's got to start start somewhere. I just trained one up three years ago. Super good young kid does a great job. And the technology we got just because it's his first year, you know, I I kind of explained to him and I and I I put waypoints and stuff on his Onyx or base map or whatever he has and. And, you know, tell him, you know, guide him through, like, this is how you need to hunt the hunters, you know. So he'll be just as, we all kind of hunt the same style, so he'll be just as successful usually, you know. But um, 
it's important to know who you're going to have for a guide and, and how experienced they are for sure. Definitely a question I'd be asking. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super important. Cause you know, if, and it might tell you something a little bit about the outfit. If, if they have a revolving door of guides coming and going, mm-hmm. maybe there's something else going on too. Right. Um, but if they've got, you know, guides that have been with them for a really long time, um, that means, you know, something things are getting done right around there and it's right. in a, it's been a good experience probably for the hunters and the guides to, to keep coming back every year and, yep. and a good outfit to work for. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and it, you know, if you do, if you do find out you, you're getting a newer guide, you know, it's his first or second year of guiding, you know, uh, uh try to dig into how long has he been a hunter? Yeah. You know, how long has he lived here in Idaho or wherever sure. you're hunting, you know? some other things to think about. Yeah. Yeah. He could be a country, first year guiding, but country boy that's been hunting his whole life. And, you know, he know these, knows these mountains like on the back of his hand. All right. So, yeah. yeah. Or maybe not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. not. <laughs> yeah. It's important to get a good guide. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, that was really great. All those points you brought up on the biggest mistakes and, the how to how to best vet um an outfitter whether you're vetting an, a, an outfitter or maybe you're vetting a, a hunting partner um those are some really good things to think about and to, conversations to have that way you have a really good a really good experience um do you have any closing thoughts yeah i, I think uh i'd leave it as as uh no matter if you're doing it do it yourself or a guided hunt go in with a positive attitude, you know, go in, um, you know, you might not kill one. That's just reality. Um, but go in there. I'm going to have a good time no matter what happens. You know, I'm, I'm going to be positive. I'm going to set a positive tone for the whole camp. Yeah. Um, I love those kind of guys. They're Mm -hmm. just, they're positive from the day they walk in till the day they walk out. And if they don't kill one, kill one, they're still positive. We love those type of guys. Just it just really sets the tone for the whole camp for the week, and I love it. Yeah, it sure does. You know, and and an attitude is is so contagious, whether it's positive mm-hmm. or negative. If you're if you're exuding positivity and and having a good time, and people around you are going to have that same vibe, they're all going to start having that same. Maybe they're like on the fence whether they want to be positive or not. Right. It, it's easy for them to follow follow suit. Like, oh yeah, that guy, he's kind of uplifting and cheering me up. Now I'm now I'm positive too. But but if you're kind of being a poo poo, you know, if you're having a, a a bad attitude, then that's also really contagious. And it's, and it's actually a really a lot easier to have a, a bad attitude than it is a good attitude. Yep. Um, and my my buddy Dan Staten from elk shape he always says there's only two things on elk hunting that you can control and that's your attitude and your effort mm. and that's so true that is true i love that yep yep and like you said that the negative attitudes are just as contagious but i i mean i i tell all my guides no matter what happens stay positive and and it really helps when the hunter the actual hunter is doing it so yeah Absolutely. Keep that number one Absolutely. positive attitude. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, um, guided hunts. I mean, they're just because you're going on a guided hunt 
doesn't mean it's any less of a hunt than a than a do-it-yourselfer. Um, I feel like there's this attitude out there in the hunting world right now that, oh, it's a guided hunt. Oh, oh, you drew a tag. It wasn't an over-the-counter um, do-it-yourself hunt. You know, some people kind of turn their nose up at that. And that's, you know what? That's not right. Nope. You know, the outfitted hunts, it's still a hunt. You have to show up. You have to work hard. You have to, you know, you have a guide there helping you, you know. Um, so we're all in this together. Yep. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be trying to tear each other down. You know, as long as the method someone else chooses to hunt is, is legal mm-hmm. and you know, they're, they're observing ethical standards, you know, we should support them. You know, we yep. shouldn't run them down. Yep. Don't divide. Don't sure. divide. We're all in this together. There's too many people trying to tear, take away our hunting rights and mm-hmm. take, trying to tear up, tear down hunting as it yeah. is. We don't need to do it as, as hunters. Right. Yes, and thank you for bringing that up about a guided hunt. I appreciate that because, yes, as as a guide, you know, I'm still hunting with hunters, you know, mm-hmm. that come with me. Oh, yeah. They're still, they're good hunters. They hunt at home. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just not real familiar. And you can learn a lot. I mean, they can learn a lot. If mm-hmm. you're, I take these kids uh, um, up north here that, you know, are really wanting to get into calling and, and do it themselves. And they actually booked a couple hunts with me. And it's worked out real good. They've learned a lot, and they're out there calling in elk now by themselves and stuff. I mean, you're there with a, a good guide for a week, you, and you're paying attention. You can learn a ton. Yeah. So. Yeah, you have a seasoned guide that's been doing this a long mm-hmm. time. Uh, you can learn a lot. And, yep. and maybe maybe that's your goal is to someday do a do-it-yourself type hunt, mm-hmm. or maybe not. Right. Um, or, or maybe – you can go with an outfitter and they, they can provide a hunt that you would never be able to do on, on your own. You know, maybe they own, you know, a pack of hound dogs mm-hmm. that are really well-trained and they know the area very well. Um, for me, I, I can't own a pack of hound dogs and train them. I've just, just, I don't have the ability nor do I have the space, mm-hmm. um, to do it. And then, and then where to do it, you know, um, I can come with Bradley. We can go, we can go chase, cats or we can go chase bears and it's going to be an experience of a lifetime um so you know maybe it's just buck your buck checking off a bucket list thing Mm or or maybe maybe you've just never gone hunting before and you're intimidated just like you know i i don't know if i can do this by myself and Mm -hmm. i want to go with a guide and and learn everything he knows about elk hunting or deer hunting whatever Mm -hmm. kind of hunt it is and then next year I, i'll feel comfortable to do it myself and yep. that's a great great way there's no shame in that game that's a no, great way to do it that's absolutely. it's smart actually so yep yeah definitely and yeah i'd uh thank you for bringing the hounds up you know just before we go here you know if you have a chance that um i feel like hounds are are kind of misled a little bit in a way you know um i, I know not everybody but you know I just encourage anybody to go with a try to find somebody with hounds if they're willing to take you, and and go out there and 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 experience that. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of hard work that goes into that. It's not just turning the dogs loose and, oh. or pulling the trigger. <laughs> you, as you know, Dirk. Oh, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, or you know, like Dirk said, you know, you you might not have the knowledge or or the, the space or, you know the time to raise a pack of dogs, but at least experience, you know, especially before you judge it, you know, yeah. definitely uh, try it out. I think right. just about anybody I ever 
took out for the first time with hounds, I pretty much hooked them. So oh yeah, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Well, on social media, anytime, like on the Phelps page or mm-hmm. even on my page or or on our YouTube videos where we've gone hunting with you and it's mm-hmm. like hound dog hunting for mountain lions or bears. Um, immediately, immediately there'll be somebody naysayer, but you're like, no, thanks. Yep. Oh, 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 that's the lazy man's way or whatever. <laughs> and they, they'll say that about bear baiting too. Yep. Um, and it blows my mind yep. because to me, ha- hunting with hound dogs or baiting, that is like the opposite of the yes. lazy man's way. That takes so much time, discipline, effort mm-hmm. that I don't have, like, I don't have time to deal with, no. have dogs and right. train them and all that. Like, um, and then it's not like I just show up and just shoot something. Like no, we we ha- we hunted all week. Yes. you know, and and you got to be in the cold. You got to be in the hot. You got to hike up in there to the tree. I mean, yeah. there's more to it than that. It's it's and that baiting too. I <laughs> my buddy Cody Wilson went uh, bear hunting last spring with him in in uh, Wyoming and in baiting, and people will poo poo on that. They'll say, "Oh, that's the lazy man's way." If no. you've ever, if you've never baited bears, right, especially legally, yeah. where you have to do it per the law, you can't have it next to a stream, you can't have it next to the road, you get, you have to do it right. That is an astronomical amount of work. Oh man, packing in bait and <laughs> yes, it is definitely. It's crazy to me that people can sit there and run it down. They obviously have never done it. Right, um, they just see the maybe the the fruits of people's success, mm-hmm. and maybe feel a little jealous or think, "Oh man, that's that must be nice or whatever." That's easy. Right. It ain't easy. Yep, definitely try it before you judge it. Yep, and it's definitely I can promise you not easy. <laughs> I've got my whole life and dedicated to hounds, and and I know what exactly what it takes. And if you know the people that think it's easy you know go out and and train a pack of dogs and catch your first cat and then we'll talk right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah they might have a little different opinion right. yeah so. well man I, I can't tell you how much i appreciate you coming on here and sharing all your knowledge and stuff with me and and uh but i've been trying to get bradley to go elk hunting with me and uh we've been kind of talking about that and he said you just wanted me to call in an elk for you which that's true but <laughs> i want to really call one in for him really bad too so i know one of these days we're, we're going to probably put that together and and hopefully we'll get to film it and, yeah. and share it with you guys i think it'll be a probably a hunt of a lifetime really Oh man, I'll, I'll be, I definitely want to do that and I'll look forward to that. And yeah, I'd love for the bugler to call me in a big six. Man, that'd, be, that'd be awesome. <laughs> even a, even a big spike. I'm not too picky. <laughs> well, well, I don't want know. you to have too much pressure. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> we'll keep our expectations in, right. Yeah. We'll talk it over. Again. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks again. I appreciate yeah, it. Thank you, Dirk. I appreciate this. Yep. Yeah. Tell us where people can find you. Um, okay. Social uh, and stuff. Yeah, so I I do have an Instagram page. You know, I'm I think three. Well, I started Instagram right, right about the time six seven months before you come about COVID year. Oh yeah. So I'm not the greatest on it, you know, but yeah. I'm on there. You can look me up. We have a website, IdahoWhitetailGuides.com, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of information on there, um, and you know, a way to contact us. And like I said, if you have any questions, I'm. I'm happy, you know, a lot of times my wife will take the calls and I might be out in the field hunting or something, but I will eventually get back to you. And yep. um, even the do-it-yourselfers, like I said, if 
if there's anything I could do to point you in the right direction or or uh, any kind of information you might think you need from me, don't hesitate to call. Okay. Yeah. You know. Great. And on Instagram, your handles uh, Idaho Whitetail Guides. Yep. Right? Okay. Yep. All right. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Yep. Thank you, Dirk. Uh-huh. First Light has always made the world's best base layers. They're warm, breathable, silent, and odor-resistant. But the women's fit and the gear weren't meeting our demands, so we went back to the beginning and rebuilt everything. Re-engineering the gear with the most dedicated female hunters in mind, First Light modernized the fit and added more sizes, colors, and camo patterns. I personally have been testing the women's gear over the last couple of years, uh, from the mountains in Idaho to the plains in Nebraska, and I feel like the fit especially has landed in a much better spot. It's more true to size. It's not as tight and binding in certain areas like a lot of women's fit. Uh, all of the pieces, to me, got an all-around upgrade. It's awesome to see. So for yourself or as a gift this Mother's Day, pick up First Light's new women's merino wool and get free shipping on all orders containing women's gear. Available now at F-I-R-S-T-L-I-T-E dot com.